Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking with Laura Fu, head of go-to-market operations and productivity at Kong, a company that makes connecting APIs and microservices across today's hybrid, multi-cloud environments easier and faster than ever. If you know what APIs are, you might be impressed that they are delivering over 11 trillion, trillion with a T, API calls per month through their services. Well, we dive right in on this show, so let's get started. Laura, as you reflect on your career, what's one go-to-market initiative that you've been involved with that had a major impact on revenue performance? Jeremy, that's a lot. A big question. But I think I will refer to kind of what I did in my last year here at Kong. I'm just coming up on my first year anniversary. And I've always lived by the sales mantra, inspire, coach, and inspect in that order. This year has been particularly difficult for sales teams with the macroeconomic climate and such. And so building pipeline was a huge focus for us, you know, over the last couple of quarters, right? So how do we help sales teams build pipeline? The thing that my team and I did was we took an approach of inspiring them first with the best field stories how their peers were able to conquer a customer, conquer a prospect, a champion, how they did it in the field as an inspiration to their peers, right? And so we called this series, the Conquer Conquest series. And we started this in, uh, let's say, Q3, right? And it was part of a initiative basically to help our sales teams build more pipeline. So every Monday, mandatory call, 30 minutes, we had somebody from the field team, AEs, come along, tell their story. We prepped them with specific interviews. like, And we really just drilled down on what was inspiring to their peers. Is there one of those that sticks out in particular in your mind that you personally found inspirational? I think there was one deal. The rep had basically pursued the opportunity for like a year and they finally were able to convert it and um, close the deal after a year. So I thought that was, you know, really good, um, good grit there. Right. And showing that team like, hey, never, ever give up. Right. This is something that you can do, too. Just going back to how that connected to pipeline. Right. So. Again, like the pipeline, you know, pipeline was the, was the end outcome. And we started with, with inspiration through the Conquer Conquest series. But the other thing that we did to help encourage that was the great pipeline generation race, the great PG race. And we ran it for two quarters. And the PG race basically measured how much new pipeline every rep was creating. And as a result of us actually measuring it and tracking it every single Sunday Everyone in the sales team got an email that kind of showed who was, who was on the board, who was the top PG rep, who was the top um, SDR that generated the most pipeline, right? And that really encouraged reps to just like have that, that, that friendly competition. So those two things, the, the Conquer Conquest and the reporting afterwards that, that kind of showed whether they were using it and whether they were building pipeline, it actually really worked because... If I compare our numbers for um, Q1, we are now at 50% new pipeline. And new pipeline is pipeline that's been created in the last 90 days. And that went up more than double from last year. Um, in Q2, it was 19%. 
That's a new metric, actually, that I, I hadn't heard really anybody tracking, which is, yeah, that metric of new pipeline. And as you defined it, it's it's created in the last 90 days. And so you're tracking that on a rolling basis? Yes. So I, I, could, I actually call it fresh pipeline. And we know that, you know, pipeline, there's good pipeline and there's unqualified pipeline, right? And time kills all deals. So the way that, you know, I was taught to look at pipeline was this concept where you might have been being familiar with it. We call it the visible opportunity. The visible opportunity basically is an opportunity that's, you know, closing in the next six months, right? So when we look at a pipeline, we also look at whether the opportunity is closing in the next six months, but also how long it's been alive for. And that fresh pipeline uh, metric actually has been very helpful for us. I know we're still on Inspire amongst the Inspire coach and inspect pieces, but a couple questions on this great pipeline creation race. One thing you can get concerned about is that people will inject bad pipeline, right? So either bad opportunities or they'll put in amounts that are inflated amounts in order to win that race. How did you control for the gaming? That's a really good question, Jeremy. And I think we really need the frontline sales manager to help us with this right? Pipeline isn't something that we can just roll out at a leadership level at, at a corporate level and say, we all got to rally around pipeline. At the end of the day, the frontline sales leader is the most important person that's going to actually help us drive and execute on this, right? So what helped them? The other thing that we did at Kong in this last year was we really rolled out the sales process, a really robust sales process, which included questions around what qualifies a pipeline, Right. And that was um, an asset that, you know, we gave to the sales managers that allowed them to inspect the opportunity. And so in this way, we were giving the trust and the autonomy to the sales leader to qualify their own pipeline. At the end of the day, it only benefits them, the sales leader, to qualify the pipeline and qualify the opportunities with their reps. Along the way, they coach their reps by challenging them. Right. Do you think we really have an opportunity here. Why do we have a champion? What's the definition of a champion, right? So I think giving that autonomy builds trust with the leaders also and allows them to give them the space to do the work that, that you know, they're supposed to do. I love that you're using a trust-based model and not having to necessarily police. One thing I've seen people do in the past as a subtle policing of this is to also measure people very carefully on win rates. I would presume you also do that. We do look at win rates, but at the end of the day, I think that's a lagging indicator, right? If reps are successful, they're going to make their number. If they're not successful, yes, we can look at win rate and we can look at conversion rates. But I do actually think that most of the, most of the issues here are in qualifying the pipeline. Because if you think about converting an opportunity, everybody in the sales organization is going to jump on a deal that's a real deal. We're going to have deal desk supporting them with contracting, right? The SCs are going to be all over it because everybody wants to be part of the winning team. What the AEs really need more help with is the front end of the funnel, right? It's getting leads from marketing. It's getting leads from their SDRs, from their BDRs, right? And qualifying those leads. So that's where I think they need the most support. And if we can help them just get really good at qualifying, do really good discovery, the conversion rates, they're going to come, so another question about the great pipeline race is that you mentioned that there is a component of that for AEs and for SDRs. Are those separate races? Do you do you rank them again or are they in the same in the same pool? It's one race, but we do look at the SDRs separately. But the interesting thing about the SDR race is actually we also measure the SDRs on how much visible opportunities they're bringing in 
versus just um, sales accepted leads. I would say that's an alignment that we have on the sales leadership team to basically rally around the concept of a visible opportunity rather than is it a sale, is it an MQL? Like, does it actually convert? That's the goal. If somebody wants to implement this pipeline race in their own company, are there any gotchas that you uncovered along the way, any tuning that you had to do? Yes. I would say focus on the one thing that you really feel like is going to turn the needle outside of just like general pipeline. What's the thing that's going to accelerate your business? You can also put accelerators on those. So for example, we have a point system where you can get more points if you create more dollars in VO, in, in pipeline for a specific product, right? That's going to help you accelerate. The other thing is you do have to have, you know, good Salesforce tracking and reporting. Like I said, this concept of fresh pipeline, it's not just when the opportunity was created, but when it actually moves to an opportunity stage that for us, it's a stage four, it's called Evaluate, where the new business meeting has happened. And we know that there's an initiative, we want to pursue it here. Wow, that's pretty far along to to move something into the evaluate. What are, what are the first three stages? There must be a lot of upfront work before you get there. Yeah, so there's MQL and qualify stage, which is like kind of like SALs, right? And the qualify stage is where we do the new business meeting. And then afterwards, we move it to a visible opportunity. Stage one is basically just like a parking lot. You know, if you think of something, put it in an opportunity. But uh, the reason why... We feel that evaluate is the right stage is because at that moment, that's when we know and we've had the new business meeting and that's when we know there is a project, that's a pain that somebody has to solve within the next, you know, six to nine months. Got it. Okay. So we, we talked in depth about it. Inspire. Coach, I would assume, is coming from the first line managers. Was there anything else on, on coaching that was critical to the success of the initiative? So when we talked about the Conga Conquest, going back to that Conga Conquest series, we talked about the field stories, right? But very often, at the end of it, there was a 10-minute, here's your 10-minute enablement. That was the coaching. So if there was one thing that we wanted them to remember or know, right, we tried to put it in the 10 or 15 minutes before or after the story. But that was their enablement, right? And that kind of just, like, gave them a little bit more insight, more double-click, like, oh, I want to know more about this product, or, like, how did you reach out to this particular person? So we want to just give them just enough to make sure that it's 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 relevant, but also that they, you know, they, they catch on to it and they're excited about it, and then they'll go find the rest of the information on their own. We just got to make it accessible to them. Are there any tools or technologies that you use for real-time availability of coaching content for your reps? Um, so we do use um, Wingman right now, and then we are in the middle of implementing the content management system that Saleshood just released, and that's going to give us, I think, more insight to on like what content is useful, and that's going to help us with the coaching as well. Yeah, you'll get good analytics on what's what people are using at what times of the sales process. Were those coaching sessions, that last 10 minutes of enablement at the end of the calls, was that delivered by the guest AE or that was delivered by an enablement person or a product person or a marketing person? Yeah, it would vary. Usually it wasn't the AE. Usually the enablement bits of it were conducted either by the, the enablement team or sometimes it was a product person um, that double-clicked or sometimes an SE. If you could only run one 10-minute enablement session, I know this is a tricky question, but you, you could only do one and that was it, what would you cover? Champion building. No champion, no deal, right? You have to have somebody on the inside of your customer or your prospect that really believes in the opportunity 
Otherwise, you're just going to be pitching to a blank wall. You need somebody on the side that's running place for you, that's knocking down walls on the EB. And sometimes we forget that, like, you know, with enterprise sales and we're trying to get, like, the big deals and and we, th- we, f- we think that we're selling to an enterprise, which is kind of true, but really people buy software, right? So it's, it's people that are helping you with your deal and we got to build them up, right? And champions is a big topic. I love the topic of champion, but I especially love the topic of building champions and connecting directly with the individual as a person to understand them, what their personal wins are. I almost think of it like a recruiting process, right? If you're a sales leader and you're recruiting somebody, in a hot job market when there are like so many jobs out there, why would somebody work for you? You you have to like recruit them and understand them and make them feel like, hey, you're going to help them develop as an individual as well by joining your team. I used to think that the difference between a coach and a champion was that the champion would introduce you to the economic buyer. But, but I, I've heard a lot of commentary that says that's not enough. What are some other ways to test that you have a champion and not just a coach? What I found is we sometimes over-rotate on testing to see whether they're a champion. But what I feel is if we did the identify and build part correctly, if we identify the right champion and if we built them up correctly, the test phase of this, of this whole champion plan, what we're really testing for is whether they're going to be your champion, not whether they can be a champion, but whether they're going to be your champion, not the competition champion, not the incumbent champion, not somebody else's champion, but are they going to be your champion, right? And so what I would say is, you know, some good champion tests are, are they the ones building the agenda for the meetings? Are they owning the project? Are they the ones coming to you and saying, let's build a business case together? Here are the inputs. Here are the right people that we should be talking to. I love this EB introduction. But in the EB introduction, is it their meeting? Are they saying, hey, Mr. EB, you know, we've talked a lot about this project before. These are the reasons why I think we should buy this software. And I'm going to hand it over to the vendor to help them explain. Or are they sitting back in the meeting and saying, well, it's your meeting, right? Is it, is it your meeting or is it their meeting? I think that's the, kind of maybe like the, the truest form of a champion. Does that imply that the champion needs to have a certain amount of power for for a meeting with an EB to be the champion's meeting? Does that mean they need to be, you know, not necessarily just a quote unquote, I don't even want to say just because individual contributors are, are the lifeblood of the company. So, and you can have some individual contributors who are 10 X more valuable, right. Than, than executives, but you don't often find them necessarily owning meetings. Well, I think the, the one of the definitions of a champion is that they have power and influence within the organization. So we talked about how to inspire reps with stories from other successful AEs in the field. We've talked about how to coach them with critical enablement modules, such as the champion module. And then how do we inspect the reps? Great question, right? So I think going back to the sales process that we talked about and rolled out at Kong this last year, having a really robust sales process, which details here are the customer verifiable outcomes, here's what we need in each stage, is going to help with inspecting the deals. Like you have to be doing deal reviews. You have to be doing opportunity reviews. On the America's team that I'm I'm more closely aligned with um, at Kong, right? The head of sales, Joe Veranikar, he runs a big deal call, which every every deal that's over 100K, he reviews them on this 90-minute call every week, right? And it's nice that he actually does it with the, with all of the reps that have a big deal because those are the reps that like they want to be on that they want to be on that call because they have a big deal right but also doing it on that call allows everybody to hear 
the inspection process and they can self-inspect, right? So you want to get to a point where like you're inspecting a rep steel, but then they're, they're going to be able to take the same things and then inspect their own. And what are some of the things that you in- inspect on, be- I guess, even beyond the, the deal review components? I would say like paper process is top of mind right now. And I see a lot of opportunities, um, you know, being badly forecasted because we didn't have the paper process nailed down. And I, and I think it's doubly important, especially now where like, you know, at the last minute we could have, you know, the CFO come in and say like, you know what, we just can't spend that. I've, I've encountered it m- myself in procuring software, right? I'm seeing that right now. Many components of the paper process, one is initial NDAs, and then obviously your your master service agreement, and then other contracting SOWs and so forth. Are there, you know, you mentioned you're using customer verifiable outcomes throughout the sales process. Have you put each one of those at a different stage in the sales process, or how are you adding more rigor to, to that? So I think the paper process, there's, there's a component of it, which is paper, but then there's another component of it, which is like, who is actually signing it? Right, the people on the paper process that can overlap with like what we call the decision process as well. I think that this decision process, paper process, all the medpick elements across the sales across the sales process itself, they start as being hypotheses, and then they just get more confirmed along the way. Right, you don't you you just won't know what all those things are, but you can hypothesize and you can ask those leading questions and you can confirm with the customer throughout the whole cycle. So if you can get that confirmation early on, it's not just knowing who signs, but who is in the sphere of authority and influence that need to say yes. Also, I can tell smiling because I can totally relate. Either physically knocking on doors to get people aligned or slacking them figuring out whether they're aligned and then if they're not having to hop on the phone with them to talk them through the decision, the business case and so on all on the last day of the quarter. Well, uh, Laura, thank you so much for being on today. I especially appreciate, you know, not all, all, not only all the stories, but also the unique way that you look at pipeline, the, the visible pipeline, as well as the pipeline that's fresh. I think you called it right. Fresh yeah. pipeline within 90 days. So thanks so much for being on. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.